Hey everyone, welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. Today's guest is Rachel Engstrom, author of Wife, Widow, Now What, certified health coach, blood cancer advocate, and social worker. Can't wait for you all to hear her incredible story. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast so we can continue sharing our stories. Welcome back to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy we finally get to do this um, and connect. And I'm curious how you like found the podcast. Yeah. So I actually was just looking for different platforms to be able to um, share my book to be able to help people um, because I've been there and witnessed it all and I have resources to help people so I just want to get the word out there yeah amazing um yeah and I'm so excited for you to I don't know much so I'm so excited to just like learn and hear your story um Mm -hmm. so I guess let's start from the beginning uh obviously you you experienced something that made you want to write this book so yeah where did it all start yeah so I'm I'm I just turned 39 last week Happy um, birthday! <laughs> so I moved here to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, not knowing one person when I was 18 to go to school. So it's been almost 21 years. I went to the University wow. of Minnesota. Got my Where bachelor- are you from? Uh, smallish, to me, smallish town, 30,000, 40,000 mm-hmm. people in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so I moved here. I wanted more diversity, all kind, you know, more opportunities, different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, more liberal area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved here, studied cultural anthropology, and my second year of college, so sophomore year, first semester, um, at a friend's birthday party for her boyfriend, I met this older guy that was about seven, mm-hmm. almost seven years older than me, and totally did not plan any of it. But we started dating and quickly learned, you know, we were just the cat's meow for each other. And (laughs) um, that's my favorite thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. When I was um, 22 and he was 20, about to be 28, we got married. So I graduated, got my first job, got married, um, moved in together, did all of that. And then how long have you been together? Three years. Okay. So three years. Yeah. Um, so knew each other pretty well. And my mom and dad couldn't really say anything because they were, my mom was 19 and my dad was about to be 26 when they got married. And that's okay. the ages when we met. <laughs> yeah. But it was still like, who's this older guy? You know, right. they're, this, they're, you know, they're, I'm the youngest of four. They're babies in like this other mm-hmm. state. And yeah. Cause we're like, the oldest is 14 years older than me. And there's four Wait, of us. Same. So Literally really, exact same. Yeah. Like, so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we're 53, 51, 41, and 39. So when I was, you know, 19 and like, hey, I met this older guy, they were like, oh. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I actually just had a really hard semester in school. Class that I just bombed. It was really hard. And my dad was like, it's because you have a boyfriend. And, you know, it was like, <laughs> it was like, no, I don't think that it's that. Uh, maybe partially, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, um, a little bit. We had a really uh, great, you know, start in my 20s and things like that. And what was interesting is he worked nights. So I was able Mm -hmm. in my 20s to be my own person, 
Um, you know, totally not dependent on dinner together every night or anything like that. So it was, you know, we'd see each other on weekends and be like, so excited to see each other, you know, like watching something on TV and ordering pizza or whatever. That was like the biggest, biggest deal. Um, Mm. but I later, I mean, I didn't know that that was a gift to be able to have all this independence while still having this consistency and this reliability within having another person. And then in 2010, when I was 28, um, that summer and fall, I started having these epic, horrific pelvic pain episodes of having cyst rupture on my ovaries and organs and all kinds of stuff. So I discovered I had endometriosis and Mm. was told I might not be able to have kids and, you know, different things like that. So that was really a lot to intake. Mm-hmm. And then on New Year's Eve that year, we got Chinese food and we're sitting in our table in our dining room and his fortune cookie says, you're about to have a major life change. What turns out happening is oh, 15 wow. days later, he's diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Wow. So it's totally misdiagnosed. I just got the chills. That's yeah, crazy. totally misdiagnosed as a rare blood disorder. Um, you know, they think he's anemic. So he gets mm. um, blood transfusions and we're about to leave after the four hours of doing that. And they're like, oh, we need to go to the Humphrey Center. They don't tell us that the Humphrey Center is the Humphrey Cancer Center. So we're totally freaking out, waiting like 20 minutes before anybody comes in. They diagnose them with this blood disorder, which is, you know, awful but doable. And like mm-hmm. while we're waiting for, you know, them to print out this paper, he goes to the bathroom and he comes back and he raises his arms in the air. And he's like, at least it's not the big C. And then, you oh, know, <laughs> yeah, and then he gets a call a couple hours later. Oh, and I've been, no. Being a research geek, I've, like, researched T- TTP, this blood thing they thought he had, and it was, like, very yeah. doable. And I was like, oh, you'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. So the doctor calls back, and she's like, um, Grayson, you know, this is not what we thought. And he's like, well, that's good, right? And she's like, uh, no. Um, so oh. they said the next day he needed a bone marrow biopsy and then we were supposed to wait mm-hmm. from Friday to Monday and they called Saturday and said, you have acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Wow. What so were his symptoms? Yeah. yeah, he was so, so he worked, like I said, he worked nights and he made ink, like he created and mixed, um, like toxic chemicals ink oh. that gets printed on, which we didn't really think about like, until later. Which gets printed on flexible packaging, so like bookstore mm. bags, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So later we learned, you know, when that was in underneath his fingernails and going through the pants, and you right. know, he'd have ink, all that, you know, probably contributed later. But um, they were able to tell when he was first diagnosed that it had only been in his body like less than two weeks and it had infiltrated infiltrated really? his blood like 97 percent of his blood was cancerous um it was How just did they tell that i don't Do know. know he so he first was diagnosed where at the hospital where he was had the the blood transfusions and then there mm-hmm. we got to pick where we wanted so we went to the university of minnesota because mm-hmm. it's world-renowned hospital in general and a teaching hospital but what we didn't know and that we need and all that is it's like the first bone marrow transplant in the world was done there um, oh wow like ever in the 60s um wow. so they are just like cancer experts right and I don't know they were just able to tell that That's wild. but it was it was really weird so between the hospital admissions of the one where he was diagnosed and then when he's checked in 
they're like, okay, well, you have cancer now. Now you need to go give your sperm sample. And we're like, what? So when you're young, they want to harvest your eggs or freeze your sperm. Um, So if you do want to have kids, if you're sterile after treatment. Right. So we're trying to come to terms with that. My older brother, the the one that's – so the oldest, he's 14 years older. He drives down once, you know, he finds out from my parents something's up. Um, Mm -hmm. So he was actually there when we got the news. So he's driving us to the cryogenics lab going, come on, Rachel, give him a hand. And I'm like, shut (laughs) up. (laughs) So we go to this place and there's like, you know, hi, I'm Cindy at the front desk. Here's your cup. And, you know, (laughs) signing all these forms for, you know, now we have to pay to store this. It's just really weird. Right. So I didn't actually know that they did that for men. too. Yeah. That's really interesting. So now we go in this room and it's like a sink um you know the soap the paper towels a big leather brown leather chair and a big rack of porn and then pumped into the room with a volume you can't control was like yakety yak don't talk back to the room it was so weird and i'm like sitting against the door like holding the porn magazine like just like this is your one chance and he's like can you please leave and i was like yes please So it's like we're, yeah. So it's like we're going through these moments of just surreal oddness because it's like you just feel like you're floating and whatnot. So you're just like going through the motions. It's wild. So he had to. We had to go back the next day and do that, and then he was admitted, and then that was like Monday. He's admitted, and then on Thursday he starts chemo, but he has to give one last sample. So I'm like guarding the door so no one comes in in the hospital. (laughs) And then I, like, put it in a bag inside my hat. And, like, I'm waiting for the valet service to bring my car because it's, like, negative 10. And a friend later was like, well, you can tell your kids their first car ride was the (laughs) car seat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So he was in the hospital for, like, five weeks. And Hmm. had they offered him to be part of a clinical trial. Okay. um, Which... You know, when you first hear that, you're like, oh, geez, he's a lab rat. You don't realize it's something amazing that's going to help other people. Um, And he was just like, I want to do – he was so gosh golly nice. And he, as I'm saying, was. You can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, he was an amazing person. So Mm -hmm. he – and that's why I'm here because I'm super positive even though he died. Um, <laughs> at least so, you can find like some of the funny parts. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I am a trip. So, <laughs> so he was like, gosh, golly nice to the point where he'd be like, can I trouble you for this? And his nurses would be like, what? That's, that's our job. Right. <laughs> right. So we quickly learned the culture of like, you have no privacy, you have, you right. know, all of these things. And mm-hmm. I brought like a picture of our puppy and blankets and a lamp and the doctors and nurses were like, Ooh, the lovebirds are in their apartment. Oh. <laughs> so I'm balancing like all of this. His dad died when he was a teen and then his, mm-hmm. his mom and stepdad lived like 90 miles away. My parents are in a different state, so we have no family here. So yeah. the first five weeks of a very intense clinical trial for ALL for acute lymphoblastic leukemia he's in Mm -hmm. a trial for the regimen the protocol that they give kids so they're hitting him super super Mm -hmm. hard with all the chemo all the steroids all those things yeah and 
I'm working eight hours, then running home to let the dog out, then running to the hospital for two or three hours, then running home, rinse and repeat. So it was just awful. And it's like those times where you drive and then you snap back into focus and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I get from here to there? I'm not dead. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, right. On autopilot. Yeah. So then um, my parents ended up coming to live with us. So he was sick two years and three months. Um, so 27 months, my parents took shifts. Wow. They'd been married. Now they've been married 55 years. They've been married 45 years at the time. And my mom was 64 and my dad was 72 and they mm-hmm. took shifts living with us. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no way. First, Cause like, <laughs> I don't want to be 28 and like have my dad fold my underwear and my mom like up in my right. business and, you know, but it was amazing because he, yeah. he went from like, a lean, he was around 175, 180, 6'2. That was his normal weight. He got mm-hmm. down to like 145 when he came oh home gosh. from the hospital. So he was like, a, I wanted to bubble wrap the house, bubble wrap him. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like shower chair, bars in the, in the shower, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I bought couches for upstairs and a TV because all that was downstairs and I knew he couldn't mm-hmm. navigate the stairs, you know, it'd be too hard. and because mm-hmm. as you know, like your body, you know, I have to get things to modify our house um, yeah, for everything that he would need. And if he had a fever or, you know, he was too weak to cook and all those different things. And I, right. so I needed someone to be able to be there and watch him and take, um, you know, coming home with a huge shopping bag of like 20 different pills and all those things. You just really can't focus on all that when you're the patient. Yeah. So I very quickly was thrown into this world of having to navigate um, insurance and disability and treatment and diagnosis and all yeah. these things. So what high, and I'll, you know, so within the beginning of telling you all this, so I decided a year after he died to write a book. So I'm not sure. Have you heard of caring bridge before? No, it's a website. That's like medical blog. So anyone that's okay. sick, you can go on there and instead of being inundated with text, emails, phone calls, you will get an email, whoever okay. signs up for it. So, like, so you get updates. Yeah. So, my mm. book is the chronological post of CaringBridge, Facebook, Team Grayson on Facebook as well. Mm. And then my narrative, like, when I'm figuring out treatment, diagnosis, how to navigate insurance. I work at a behavioral right. health insurance company now. So, I, like, literally oh. put it all out. What's a deductible? What's a copay? What you need to ask? All oh, of these wow. things. So, I have, like, employment, disability, finances. I have a whole section because more than likely – you probably um, are going to have modified work or not be able to work. How do you yeah. revamp your finances? So I have a chart oh my God, and budgets. Amazing. And so and, helpful. Yeah. And then I have all of the cancer organizations that I could come up with that have funding for specific kinds of cancer and all these things and where wow. to get med discounts. So I walk you through all of it, how I did it. And then I'm also doing our story, our love story. So talking about it, I talk right. about like, emotional support for yourself for them when people want yeah, to help. I was gonna ask you yeah like first of all how did well how did you feel like going through it like do you remember the feeling because I've only yeah. really interviewed cancer survivors or patients I haven't actually interviewed any I'm one caregiver but I'm curious like how you as the wife like felt yeah you know I, <laughs> so I have these very and my book is very frank very I'm very blunt my sisters are yeah. saying <laughs> very like super super nice like I compliment strangers and ask how they are but I'm also like so tell it like it is and like 
I, mm-hmm. I have these sections where I talk about like going to Target, for example, and an aisle over. And this is back in 2011. So like when Bluetooth started where someone would have the little thing in their ear and you'd be like, who are they talking to? Right. Like this lady complaining about needing more cough syrup of having a lingering cough. And I'm like an aisle over wanting to just scream at her. Yeah. Like, I don't know whether my husband's going to live or die. And you're complaining about your stupid cough. But right. I mean, to her, that was her thing. But mm-hmm. when you're in this fishbowl, it's like the Megatron screen of your mind is like the number one thing is you want to make sure they're not going to you're scared they're going to die. And yeah. then you want to make sure they have medical treatment and then you have to figure out, you know, time off of work for yourself. And then you're just constantly like day to day is just on adrenaline survival. Right. So I feel like I was really like coherent in there and taking care of it all, but really numb at the same yeah. time. Like you yeah, just go through the motions. Mode. Yeah. Yeah. So handling all of that was really tricky. And then, so I have this whole section of like when people want to ask or mm-hmm. are asking for help, what, what they can do to help you. I didn't articulate that well. When people say, how can I help? What can I do? Lots of right. times people are so overwhelmed. They don't even know what to tell people. So I have a whole it's section true. on let them, you know, mow your lawn or shovel your driveway or do, you know, these specific things, use their talents to your advantage, yeah. all those types of things. Um, transportation to appointments, mm-hmm. you know, just sit with them in the hospital room. So I talk about all those needed things that like, this is the first of its kind book ever. That's uh, um, like memoir interspliced with the medical world of how to navigate all, all of it. Like, Before I did this, I made sure (laughs) because I want to advertise. So I want to get it in the hands of like millions of people because it's just, it's a really shitty world to be a part of when you know nothing about it and you most definitely feel isolated and alone and like it's only you. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And I think the medical like part of it is so important too, because I mean, I like, luckily my mom is a nurse and so she's kind of in this world. So she was like able to literally just do everything. Like ask all the questions, whatever, but yeah, no, I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I have no idea. So I think it's so helpful to have that, like as a guide for caregivers, mm-hmm. because when like you're in it, like we can't focus in the appointments yeah. either. So I think that's like so helpful. Yeah. And the thing I talk about is like, you have to get, as a caregiver, you have to get your own person to talk to because you can't download your shit to the cancer patient because they're already in their own war. Like we would talk about like, this is your job. This is your own personal Afghanistan. Like this is, Mm. so, I mean, he had enough going on and like, it killed me to have to go home at night and leave him at the hospital for like a month and for five weeks. Mm-hmm. I have this episode called the elevator where it's like, I keep trying to leave his room and I can't, and I'd get down mm-hmm. the hall to the elevator and then I'd race back. And I mean, it was so painful. It's so really writing hard. this book, I edited it like eight times. I had a professional editor do it, but the night, and it was so painful and so much PTSD, but as I'm a labor sure, of love yeah. to do it, but doing it, I was able to, I'm able to distance myself farther and farther away. Mm. Um, So right now I'm jumping around a little bit, but like right now I'm doing, I have two more weeks of this 10 week campaign trying to raise as much money as I can for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So I'm running against six other people for woman of the year here in Minnesota. And it's a race to raise as much, not physical race, but race to raise as much. And like, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. Last week was the eighth anniversary of his death. And for like Mm. year 
you know, one through three, I would do something fun with friends, things like that Mm -hmm. on the anniversary. But year like four, five, six, seven, I've totally been fine. Mm. But last week, I just was like feeling like I was going to cry at the drop of a hat all the time. And I feel like it's because when I talk to someone like you, it's more of a conversational clinical level of what I've been through because I've worked so hard to heal. Right. And then, but I still have the scar tissue. So the LLS thing is like picking at my scar tissue. Yeah. Like I just want to be in my happy, warm, cozy world eight years out of where I work to be. Yeah. But you can't when you're trying to advocate for people that are on the ground level, you can't not go there, you know? Right. Totally. So he was, got to the point where he was, um, really, really healthy. He, you know, he had to go back and forth for fevers and different kinds of things. Yeah. So, um, within that, he, um, got so healthy that we were able to go to the stupid cancer conference in Las Vegas in April of 2012. Yeah. I did my first half marathon walking for the, still a big deal. Yeah. That's it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Through the leukemia and lymphoma society. I did that. And, um, you know, things were really good. And then, Mm -hmm. so that was 11, August of 2012, he relapsed. So we had to hop. Oh, so was he, so he was cancer free for a certain, he was cancer free for like, let me do the math here for like 16 months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then he, um, relapsed and we had to hospitalize him on our eighth wedding anniversary. Oh and then, God. yeah, and then they couldn't, it was like 3% or 6% this time when the cancer came back, but they just couldn't knock it out. They kept doing more and more and more chemo and they couldn't knock it out. Yeah. And it was like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, his last hope was a bone marrow transplant and they had to completely right. wipe it out to be able to do that. So he kept getting hospitalized and more and more and more chemo. And then finally in January of 2013, he... Um, had this preparatory chemo and radiation, but the radiation, he was like number 60 or 62 Mm. or something in the world to get this like space age radiation that took 40 hours for neurophysicist map. Yeah. It was crazy. Was it in his brain or no? So it targeted, it targeted like his whole body. Like they had to, he even had this mesh wire mask. So it looked like an MRI machine or a CAT scan machine. Yeah. Um, but they like literally had to this wire thing, nail it down every time they would do it and he couldn't move. So they oh mapped it God. precisely. And, wow. but I mean, to him, it felt like his body was burning, you know, the day after his trans, what was interesting is so five days before his transplant. So while he's getting all this stuff, I have a surgery myself at a different hospital in a different part of Minneapolis to scrape off 26 adhesions of endometriosis. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's like on his transplant day, we're both sitting there on our painkillers like, oh, seriously. So it's yeah. just awful. And then the day after his plant, his body just fell apart. Yeah. And I forgot to say the summer before, uh, so a few months before he um, relapsed, the steroids he'd, he'd taken from the induction phase of his chemo when he first got sick from that time, the steroids had rotted his hip. So his hip ball cracked and was falling out of the socket. 
So oh he's like gosh. in so much pain and he's oh. dragging his leg behind him and he's too young for yeah. them to do. They don't want to do it, you know, a replacement because he's too young and um, uh, just a calamity of all this just shitty yeah, stuff. Yeah, just happening. like no break. Yeah. But I had gone on two silent retreats. I'm not Catholic. One was a Catholic one. One was a Buddhist one. I talk about how I escaped a Buddhist retreat because I just <laughs> I was so tired. I kept falling asleep and falling on the floor. Could you not sleep? No, I mean I was just, just from everything. From everything. So like when I was supposed to meditate, I just kept like sliding down on the floor. <laughs> like they were like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, so then, yeah. It's a really good story in the book. Um, it ends with me eat, escaping from a Buddhist retreat ends with me eating macaroni and cheese on my porch on, <laughs> with my fingers. It's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> so there's a lot of like, and I go to concerts and, you know, try to normalize stuff, do stuff for myself. Yeah. Cause I mean, you will crash and burn if you don't take care of yourself. Right. So after his transplant, he, his kidneys, his bladder, his lungs, things started oh. to fail. Oh it took um, 60 days, but his transplant took. He had stem cells from umbilical cords. Okay. Um, so those totally took. But he, I got a call from a nurse, and they had had to put him on a vent um, to be innovated because he couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, he's off this vent where we think he's going to die. He was one in a million to have a blood clot and survive. So he goes wow. from there from the ICU within two weeks to a rehab, he's learning to walk, learning all these things. Then he goes in for his appointment and they just couldn't staff well enough with the specific needs he needed in rehab. So he goes back to the bone marrow transplant wing and he's doing well. We sneak him in a beer, which is a funny story. I have in the book, we sneak (laughs) him in a beer on St. Patrick's day and, um, on April, he's doing well. We're thinking he's doing well. He's on oxygen this whole time, low flow oxygen. Mm -hmm. And then I got a call on April 17th and he can't breathe. He can't breathe. It's like this noise. And he's like, I couldn't breathe all night. And we say, I love you to each other, like back and forth each three times. I have no idea. That's the last time I'm ever going to talk to him. So I go to the hospital and I'm told by the doctors, I'm sorry. Um, After they intubated him, which I knew they were going to. And I just had them knock him out because he was just stressing, freaking out. Um, So I'm told you know, I'm sorry, there's really nothing else we can do. We'll wait two days. And oh I'm thinking, well, shit, you know, in two days, it's my 31st birthday. So yeah. then on that day, then I'm told, you know, two more days. And this whole time I have this like such serene calmness. Mm. I credit it to my faith in God and just like all these things I learned later as a widow, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people have their person blown up at war or, mm-hmm. you know, there's this young widow that um, she was a young mom and her 10 year old found dad that had come home from war hung up oh. in the garage and mom's so short. She has to have the 10 year old cut him down. Like, Oh my God. Or people, you know, go to work and freak accidents happen and they don't come home. I think I had so much peace just because I was able to be with him and see it. Right. And, you know, he's, like, in the Hoyer lift, and they're cleaning him up and stuff like that. And I'm looking at the 6'2 person that was my husband. I mean, he's still alive, right? But it's, like, I'm looking – he's so tall. I'm looking at him, like, dangling on either side of the Hoyer lift thingy. And I'm just, like, that's not him anymore. You yeah. know, he's in so much pain. Um, right. So I made a heaven playlist the night before he died. And then the doctor the next day oh. is, like, Rachel, buddy, you know, 
there's nothing else we can or no he said Rachel buddy today's the day and Mm -hmm. I said okay and I signed the papers and he wanted his body donated to the University of Minnesota Wow. So I do all that, do all the motions. We have to wait an hour or so because it's Sunday. So our pastor's doing a service then. Mm. Um, so we do with his mom and his sister and his aunt and my parents, we do the rite of passage of all those types of things. And then I play this playlist and hold them for an hour while he's making these animalistic sounds and then his wait till his heart to stop. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. And then I walk out the door and it's literally, you know, I... But what was what was kind of funny? My sister, who's two years older than me, loved it. She was like, "I told her how, you know, I like picked up his head after he mm-hmm. died, and I was like, okay, literally, it's dead weight, and I can make kind of a funny thing at these. You have to have humor in this." And I look at him, and like he immediately there's like, because I'm laying in bed next to him, and he starts turning like this purple thing, and it's like Spider Man, like his veins are like, like everything just starts spinning like turning purple and I was like I'm out of here so then I cover him (laughs) up and I gather up all of his stuff and like his mask that he wanted to take home the one that he was pinned down in for radiation Mm. I like stomp on it on the floor you know because I'm super pissed and yeah I've done that earlier so I gather up the iPod dock and you know different things that I had and because I had played Joy Division and New Order and Ryan Adams and you know our stuff that we liked Mm-hmm. Um, ben Folds, The Luckiest. I don't know if you know that song. It's tattooed Mm-mm. on my foot. That was our wedding song and our song. Aww. So I'm playing all these things and then I uncover him mm-hmm. and I play his favorite song, Ceremony by Joy Division, for 15 seconds. And I do a little dance and I say, You wanted to beat cancer and you did because he did. Yeah. It's just the side effects killed him. And then right. I cover yeah. him back up and leave. And then I go to the family waiting room where my parents are and they're I'm just like so serenely calm it's just bizarre because it's like I'm just in this shock right Mm -hmm. so then it's weird because I'm waiting for my dad it's snowy outside and it's it's April but it's snowy and I'm waiting for my dad to bring the car around to my mom and I and it's just so weird because I have this feeling of like I want to run back upstairs but I know he's not there but he's there And then what happens over the next week is it's just so weird because I'm like a hamster that someone's taken away the wheel, but I'm still spinning. Yeah. And it's like my friends that like the, not, not friend friends, but my friends, the doctors, the nurses, the people that clean the room, the, the person in the cafeteria that takes my check card, like this whole culture of these people, they're gone. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's just weird. Cause it's like, yeah. Now what? I can't imagine. Yeah. Like like really not like what did you yeah I don't even know how you would like yeah it was really it was really weird and then besides that I'm 31 and I have to plan a memorial service so um I have a whole section called widow logistics so I'd be ply widower widow widower and I do want to say so I wrote my book specifically for cancer, but it actually is any, it could be COVID, any catastrophic illness or disability yeah. of what you're going through. You need these tools to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so within this, I talk about planning a funeral or memorial service, how to do it on the cheap, um, mm. how to revamp your finances again. Cause if yeah. you lose your person, like I did, um, I worked three part-time jobs, sold a bunch of crap on eBay, Amazon, had garage wow. sales all the time just to try to make ends meet to keep my house. Yeah. Um, I luckily had a small life insurance policy 
eight months. I was almost mm-hmm. said eight years, eight months. <laughs> and I knew within that a lot of people have to go back to work right away. I know how blessed I was to have that. At times you probably won't be able to afford your standard of living. Like his social mm-hmm. security payment went away. So it was like, mm. what do I do now? Um, his mom had helped with the mortgage that, but it was his dad's trust fund, his late dad that had left mm-hmm. for him. And I talk about in this book and I will tell you, Maddie, I've changed everyone's name in the book, but mine specifically. Mm. So I could talk about my former mother-in-law because she was horrifically mean. And it's like, had I known that, but I didn't know God put her in my life to prepare me for someone that's in my life now that I can't get rid of. But, (laughs) (laughs) But what's crazy is she helped with the mortgage and different things like that, but then he died and it totally went away. Which it it was, it was, there was a big blow up, which is in the book, but it was like, well, he's dead. You're here. We're done. Which is, which is fine. But lots of times, you know, say you had two cars, you got to sell the car, you got to get rid of the other insurance. Unfortunately, lots of times if you don't, um, and I really struggled financially, um, to make ends meet, um, Mm -hmm. later months and years working these jobs and you barely, barely make it. Um, but lots of times more than likely you're probably not going to be able to afford the home that you shared Mm -hmm. um if it's only one of you working and it's like you don't want to think about those things but you have to you have to say like you're I just can't imagine you're having to do all these like logistical things that are by the way the most annoying things in the world without (laughs) all the like pain (laughs) um like I'm dreading like renewing my passport you know what I mean (laughs) like like, that kind of stuff is like the most annoying shit to deal with on top of emotionally, you're like, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, and like I call Social Security because there's a death benefit of like $250 or whatever. And the woman's like, what's the date of expiration? And I'm like, he's not a can of beans. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's so, savage. <laughs> so it's so weird. So I have this memorial service and I have this like slideshow with pictures of us and his favorite, favorite music and I mean, listeners, you just have to read my book because it is a trip because his mom had her whole entire own service besides mine the day after it. Oh, my God. It was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So there's a lot of drama back and forth. But it's like I'm walking down the aisle with his best friend to the front of the church and everyone stares at me and it's like a graduation or wedding of sorts in itself. It's just really bizarre because everyone looks at you. Because I remember being 22 and getting married, like, why is everybody looking at me? Duh, I'm the bride. But you're like, right. it was the same thing because everyone wants to know, how are you doing? How's she reacting? You know, what is she doing? Right. Yeah. Um, so a couple, I had friends have a fundraiser for me. So I took that money. Mm. At the time, my oldest sibling did not understand it with his spouse. And my parents were like, you have no idea what Rachel mm. needs. So I actually went to Alaska for like a little under three weeks. Did a cruise. Um, I was always like, I've seen the Titanic. I <laughs> yeah. I think I'd be a widow at 31 either. So I, yeah. I, I wanted to travel, but I didn't want to have to learn a different language or wonder where I was going to sleep, you know, mm. that night or whatever. So I did this like inside passage from Anchorage to Vancouver okay. of, and then back up. And it was like, it was amazing. It was very oh, sad wow. as well many times. Yeah. Because it just made me so sad because I wish that he was with me. Of but course. what was really cool is to be, like, around God's nature and all of that. Because, I mean, when you see 
glaciers and mountains, it makes you feel like the size of a pea and it puts everything in perspective. Mm -hmm. So all those things were really helpful. And then later when I'm like totally hustling to make ends, I can be like, I did that. You know what I mean? You can go back and look at the pictures and know that you had that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had really cool things happen. Like when the boat took off and I talk about, I relay everything I'm telling you in the book and I'm Mm -hmm. like, But, like, when the boat took off, I was like, tell me that you're here. Show me a sign. And an eagle swooped at my eye level, turned, looked at me, and flew away. And I was like, oh. I love that, though. I, I like, fully believe in in signs like that. But then also, I had had the cocktail of the night, and the bartender was like, hey, why are you here? This was before the boat takes off. He's like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know. Are you, what are your, you know, is this, are you here by yourself? He wasn't hitting on me, but yeah. Um, he, I was just like, well, I'm here. My husband died and he just busted up laughing because he assumed it was like, I'm so mad at my husband, I could kill him. And yeah. I was like, <laughs> just so you know, I'm a really nice person, but that might not float with a lot of people. Oh my God. Yeah. So then this eagle amazing thing happens and then I go back to my room and the boat takes off and I just yak this whole drink and everything oh, I ate. No. It made me so sick and I'm like 31 puking my brains out on this boat oh. and stuck for two weeks and I'm thinking my mom and dad would be horrified. <laughs> and what's funny is my sister who's two years older than me when I told her I was going to Alaska she's like did you ask mom and dad? And I'm like I don't have to ask them like my husband just died like right yeah um so it's just this like calamity of oddness so then he dies in april the cruise is end of june july and then i destroy our cryogenically frozen children because Mm. i don't want to have kids without him Mm -hmm. and then i have so much pain i can barely walk so besides all these other losses i decide to get a hysterectomy in september Wow. Um, oh my gosh. So I had everything taken out but one ovary so I wouldn't go into menopause and um, okay. the loss of all of that as well because I right. really wanted to be a mom and I had been a nanny um, for newborns and triplets and you know all this stuff in my 20s and really wanted to do that so I give up on the dream of that mm-hmm. and then later I look into adoption like a year or so later thinking I could adopt myself but even to just obtain the child it's minimum like forty thousand dollars i was so, gonna, yeah it's like great yeah yeah so i just decide okay so i'm <laughs> i'm like 32 dating for the first time because i met this guy when I yeah was, when you when were... i was um 19 mm-hmm. and a friend of mine is like grayson did you a disservice he was too nice to you because now <laughs> you're used to all the shit that's out there so I'm dating, yeah i'm dating like an insane amount of people I am not going to have this um, podcast be something my mother listens to, but it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like drinking too much. I'm experimenting with, you know, I'm making my own pot brownie. Yeah. For all these things. <laughs> Cause I still have this residual pain. Mm. I'm like having, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm doing all these things that I'm not necessarily, I'm not really proud of today, but at the time I'm like, this is like grief, Rachel. This is not right. like, yeah. And some of my, one of my friends, she was, she told me like years later, she's like, you were like Yosemite Sam with dating. You were like, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> but like, she's like, if anybody would have told you to stop, you didn't. But what I didn't realize until I was like 
So in 2014, I decide to write the book. I start to put the Caring Bridge and Facebook posts in chronological order, and it just becomes too painful to read it, to read Mm -hmm. these posts. So then in like 2018 through last fall, when I published it, I'm writing it all the narrative. And within writing it, I'm realizing it, and I'm in a happier, I'm in a new love life place in my life now. You have to read the book to find out more, Mm -hmm. but um, because it's a nice little happy ending. But I feel like we can't say happy ending anymore because massage parlors have ruined that. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) true. Right? So how old are you, by the way? 27. 27? You look so young. Thank you so much. (laughs) But it's... So I'm, like, dating and I'm trying to figure all these things out. And I even, like, I have this, like, process of... And it's all, like, Tinder and plenty of fish and all these things. So I'm, like, on them all the time. And I don't realize till I am... Oh, one guy asked me if I caught my husband's cancer. Uh, Are you kidding? (laughs) No! I was just, like, click. So we'd talk on the app. Then it would move to text. Then maybe on the phone. Yeah. What's weird is people don't even want to talk on the phone. They just want to text. I'm like, no, I need to hear your voice. I need to get a little. So then we'd meet. And most of these were just like coffee or one drink. And that's it. Like, right. So um, dating on the apps is uh, something else. (laughs) It is. And it's like one of my my sister, the one that's two years older than me, Diana was like, why don't you just spend some time by yourself? This is a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm by myself all the time. So what I didn't realize the last couple of years is that. I had lost so much respect for myself Mm. and my worth. Like I knew I was a great, amazing person, but I had been someone's other half and I just wanted someone to give a shit about me. What's really hard is when your person dies or the catastrophic illness, the big hurrah, the funeral is over. People go back to their regular life. Oh yeah, totally. And that's that. And it's tough and it's tough to ask for support. It's tough to say, Hey, I need this. Hey, can you check in on me? So, um, I was just seeking so much because no matter where we lived, what we did, what our jobs were, he was always there. Even if we yeah. were together, we were still together, you know? Right. Even and if he was in the, yeah. Yeah. It's almost like people, like everyone expects you to move on. Like, of course, everyone understands like you're going to be sad and whatever, but everyone expects you to move on, but no one tells you like how to do it. And I'm sure you were just, like lonely like of course yeah and then I had really judgy people so I had um so what I didn't realize is I kept dating and dating and dating because I had lost faith in myself and in the process but I mean I was so sad one day and just so lonely Mm -hmm. I like asked the little girl that I worked with at her school her mom was in the parking lot and I asked her for a hug and she was like why oh (laughs) yeah and it was just like I would literally hug my dog and cry and yeah. feel her like breath on my neck. And that was like my only contact sometimes for weeks besides wow. a client that I worked with. Cause I worked with a little girl at her school. She had like, um, autism. Okay. So I was working these three time job, three part-time jobs, little girl that had multiple disabilities. I would pick a boy up from school, um, from his autism school, drive him mm-hmm. to either his mom or dad's house. And then I, three nights a week, I would work with, um, a woman in her fifties that had multiple sclerosis, get her ready for bed. So wow. I'm running, I'm doing about God, five, you're an angel. <laughs> I'm doing like five to 600 miles a week driving. Yeah. 
Um, still barely making ends meet, doing garage sales every weekend. And then I'm like, yeah, I want to go out and like drink and meet a right. man that tells me I'm cute, you know? It's so it's 100%. Just, yeah, right? So it's just, it's not this it's not this happy world. I mean, I would go out and I would have fun, but it's not a happy world. It's not a happy world to be in. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that I'd been friends with since I was 19. I was supposed to be in her wedding and I pulled the plug. I was her maid of honor and I totally pulled the plug and cut her out of my life after 12 years of friendship because she was just wow. like, one day she was like, um, no, this is not okay. We're going to talk about this later. And oh. she was engaged. I had an engagement. And I mean, she really did have good intentions, but it was like, I had picked out her wedding dress with her. We'd gone to the wedding fair, like all these things that are extremely painful for a new widow. Um, yeah. You know, my person's dead and I'm at this fair yeah. with all these brand new girls with their big rock. Right. And, and it's like, life just hasn't kicked you in the crotch yet, you know? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, how old were you when you were sick? I'm 24. 24 okay yeah. so not that long ago no a few years ago yeah a couple years ago yeah but you can see like so many I mean even just like when I'm driving around like the University of Minnesota and all the kids I'm like you're just babies yeah it's not kicked you in the teeth yet like I mean that's how I feel about like people my age now yeah so, yeah yeah so to be like a 31 year old 32 year old 33 year old widow was really hard because and yeah. also, people don't know how to date a widow because you don't have that's, an ex that you hate. That was another <laughs> question I had. Like, how, when you went on dates, were you like, I was, like, did you tell the story? Like, how, because that's such a huge part of your life. I don't know how you wouldn't, you know what I mean? At first, I had it on the um, app. And then I decided, like, in the ad about myself. And then I decided mm. not to. Mm. Um, and then I was like, I want. And I was like, no, not at all, because the whole stepmom thing. And yeah. it was just, it was really weird. It was just a mind fuck. There's no other way to put it because it was just yeah. bizarre. And I remember I was at someone's house and we had too much to drink. And he was like, you know, um, your husband's not here, but so I can be right now. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I, I wanted to leave, but like I couldn't, right? Because I had, yeah. but it's just, I mean, these find yourself in these places where you're just like oh my gosh you're so stupid why are you doing this yeah but you just want to dull the pain because it's horrible mm-hmm. and you know I did another half marathon for LLS in 2014 and mm-hmm. I have a chapter in my book called bitter Betty because it's like I was raising money for people to live longer lives but all I could focus on was I got robbed I what I lost da, 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 da. and right. I'm still trying to do the positive and I actually had someone I hated her so much when she told me but I had someone to help point out like you know you're kind of negative about the stuff that you're saying you need to poke mm-hmm. focus on the advances LLS is doing and all these amazing things mm-hmm. but it took me years to be able to do that and I actually yeah. stayed away from the cancer world um until last fall and I even wondered when I published my book what would happen when I started having these conversations or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I hated cliches. I hated hearing time heals all wounds, blah, blah, blah. But it does. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, I have all these tattoos on me and, you know, different, different things. And I have strength, faith, and courage and a gigantic blessed on my arm and, Mm -hmm. you know, serendipity with a gigantic peacock feather on one of my legs because Mm -hmm. I got that a couple months 
things were still happening despite him dying. And it's amazing that I'm here today telling you I went through the biggest shitstorm of the most horrific thing possible. And I'm just excited and pumped to connect people with resources. So I go through when you're in the worst place, how to reach out to these things. Um, And then I walk you through pretty much to where I got a job um, where I met the person with that I'm with today. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that much. Um, So I got it. I got a new job and the person in the cubicle is who I end up being with. It's just God. I mean, that's total God. But to get there and to write this, it's, it's been tough. Like my siblings got to pick out their names and different things. My one sister that her name is not Diana, but she's Diana. I was like, (laughs) I was like, like dirty Diana, the Michael Jackson song. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. And my other sister's like, I want to be Felicity. So it's like, you know, you learn these things along the way and whether you're a cancer patient or the caregiver or the friend or the whoever, like, I feel this is a book I've been told it's a love story in a toolbox. So Mm. whether you have been through the experience or whatnot, it's so advantageous for, like I was saying, any of those, any illness, whatever, because there literally is nothing out there that says, this is my ugly show. It doesn't end. It doesn't have commercial breaks. It doesn't Mm -hmm. end at the end of the whatever. It's not the after school special. You're Mm -hmm. young. I don't know if you remember but, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it took a lot of work to get here, but all the things that I wish that I had known, I put, I put down, That's I wrote down and, and I, yeah. cause people have interviewed me on other podcasts are like, you were so good at self-care. And I was like, in hindsight, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. cause I, I never could lose weight with, it's not like I was like huge by any means, but, mm-hmm. um, when you're spouse dies you don't sit around eating salad you eat like pizza no and cake. yeah so it's like you're sad and you don't move and then you gain even more weight right you well you're just anything. like sitting in the sadness I'm sure I'm like you don't want to yeah yeah so it's like I wish I like when he was ill I wish I had like eaten more salads and less you know those things that you don't think about that help fuel you energy wise and all these yeah. different things like yeah, you know, sometimes you're going to feel like shit and eat comfort food or whatever. But like Mm -hmm. all these things to learn later of how you need to fuel your body the right way to be able to do all these things. Mm -hmm. You know, just those lessons. But um, yeah, so that's kind of me. That's that's where I am. And now I'm just I'm I'm out there and I'm raising money. And I'm just like, like, I'm posting so much for this campaign. And I don't know when this is going to air. I'm sure it'll long, my campaign will long be over by then. But, you know, I even lost a friend that I've known through a friend. Yeah. She deleted me off Facebook because I was tagging her in too many things for this campaign. And I think she was just sick of it. And I'm like, cancer can't die. Right. And I, I, you know, I Facebook friend, I hated high school. Like I just effing hated it. I wanted <laughs> to get out of there. I had a countdown of 565 days till I could get out of my hometown. <laughs> I made my parents feel so bad. I didn't really Uh. reflect on it at the time, but I really only talked to a few people from high school. And then when my book was going to come out, I'm like, it's all out now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I Facebook friended like 200 people. I haven't talked to in like 20 years. So when this campaign happened, I'm sending them messages like you haven't heard from me in a really long time. And this is why. And it's almost Mm. like there was shame attached to it because I didn't have the storybook life. I don't have kids. I don't have these things. I had it really shitty. And I know a lot of people do. 
but I got robbed in ways that you, whatever, but then you're learning other people have had other things as well. And it's not Mm -hmm. like my stuff is more than theirs, but now I'm, I need your money to help other people. So, you know, Mm -hmm. so yeah. And it's one of those things where I'm not ashamed to do it. I will probably never, ever do this campaign again because it's emotionally really tough. But it's Mm. one of those things that when you've been through it, so the analogy I really like to use, Miss Maddie, is, and you should (laughs) to help your listeners, is, so back in the old school days, people would mine in, like, they'd go to, like, the Yukon in Alaska, and, you know, where you see the pictures where it's, like, person after person after person in the snow going up the big mountains, they put it all in the line. They don't know whether they're going to come home or not. They put it all on the line. They just want nuggets of gold. More mm-hmm. than likely, you're going through, especially if you're listening to this, most likely you are. It doesn't make it any better, any more fair, any prettier, or any easier, but more than likely, you're going through something that's going to give you nuggets of gold that will help you with a future career mm-hmm. or volunteering or like what you're doing right now. And mm-hmm. I had no idea I'd go into advocacy in this way. Granted, I have my master's in social work and like I'm a certified health coach and like all these things. And this oh, is me too. Perf- professionally what I what I do to help people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's like I've been given unlimited amounts of energy to sometimes I have like three to six podcasts a week because I'm like, I need to get this out there. And yeah, I'm doing this huge cancer camp on top of it. And I, yes, I'm very tired, but <laughs> the fire and the passion I have within me to tell people you're not alone. I've been through it. I've been through the worst stuff. I licked the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. and you can get through it too. Mm-hmm. Um, those are my nuggets of gold that I got. And I think that if I people love can- that. Yeah, I think if people can have that perspective, and I have not been through cancer, and it is horrific. So Grayson was like, I'm really glad it was me, not you, because you would be a horrible patient. <laughs> and like, we, we both agreed we would rather have it be one of us than our child or, you know, but it's one of those things where I can't, because I know you said most of your listeners and your guests have been cancer patients themselves I can't say what that means but I can say it's really shitty to be the person that's left behind yeah and I'm just so happy to be able to have done this to have this Mm -hmm. out there so you can find my book wife widow now on Amazon it's in paperback you can do the budget sheet you can fill it out um I even have yeah even have stores where you can find really cool stuff for all the cancer swag Buy an ebook version. You can even click on all the hyperlinks for all the financial that will oh, take you to great. how to find stuff. But um, you can find me, Wife Widow Now, on Instagram and Facebook and ask me whatever, and I will be happy to help. I have a friend that she's actually helping me fundraise. She's someone that I met, that she's almost 60. She's someone that I met. I wouldn't know otherwise. Met mm-hmm. her through the team and training marathon thing. Still in my life today, she was there when other people weren't. And she, told um someone about my book and they told their friend who and they're like oh my gosh can you help her navigate insurance and I'm like yes I will (laughs) so it's you know it's incredible like I love that it's like a practical thing to help people too no I mean of course like the story would help anyway but I love that it like has tools for people to use and I think that's so amazing Yeah. So eventually like everything that I have that I go through resource wise, I actually want to create a business here in the Twin Cities that 
I can go to you and then hopefully someday insurance will accept it or whatever. So that's my dream. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm only 39. That's my dream. <laughs> I love it. I love that so much. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Well, you're incredible. Like, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything. Like, so amazing. Thank you. So happy to have met you. You're such an inspiration. And I just know, like, it's going to help so many people and sharing your story will too. I hope so. Cause I'm a happy girl. I mean, it took a long time to get here, but you have to learn. I have all the things in the book. Like don't listen to sad stuff. Don't watch yeah. sad stuff. Surround mm-hmm. yourself with positive people. Surround yourself on all of this. I keep saying this, but all of this is in the book. But like when I realized when I'm watching, when I'm packaging up my late husband's techno records, cause he was a DJ back in the day. His techno mm. records and That's awesome. getting all this crap that I'm selling to, you know, ship these records all over the world. And I'm sitting on the floor in my living room with my dog next to me and I'm belly laughing to everybody loves Raymond or Frazier or friends. <laughs> and you just realize like, you know, life is so beautiful. It's so ugly, but it's so beautiful. And mm-hmm. it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And if you can just realize that you can make yourself laugh. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, sometimes I talk to myself and then we just laugh and laugh together. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's all about perspective and all about being able to laugh within the storm. So it is. It's so true. Oh, I love it so much. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Um, just so people can follow you at wife widow. Now what is that the name of your on Instagram wife widow. Now what? Mm Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then buy it, buy the book on Amazon. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. And I'll put the links and everything in the episode description. Awesome. Um, so people can easily find it. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Please stay in touch. Like, seriously, everything you're doing is incredible. I will. Thank you. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Cancer Actually Fucking Sucks, the podcast where we get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happens before, during, and after cancer. Hosted by me, Madison Pollock. Follow along for updates and guests on Facebook and Instagram at Cancer Actually Sucks Podcast. <laughs>